The Larry Kudlow Show. Free market prosperity starts here. Now, here's Larry Kudlow. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. This is The Larry Kudlow Show. You can live stream us on the Internet. LarryKudlowShow.com. LarryKudlowShow.com. All across the country and around the world and throughout the solar system. And we welcome back to the show one of our mentors, former Senator Phil Graham of Texas. He's now an American Enterprise Institute visiting scholar, and his most recent book is called The Myth of American Inequality, How Government Biases Policy Debate. His most recent uh, Wall Street Journal op-ed with my pal Mike Solon is, yes, use the debt ceiling to control government spending. As Biden and the Democrats know, it's hardly a new idea. So, Senator Graham, welcome back, sir. I want to talk to you about, before we get into the nuts and bolts of the debt ceiling and spending cuts and so forth, um, we spent a minute on the State of the Union message coming up on Tuesday. And President Biden, as I think you probably suspect, President Biden's going to say, among other things, I don't think he's going to talk about the Chinese spying balloon, but he's going to talk about... <laughs> he's, he's going to, I, 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 I do think he's going to talk about his version of a successful economy. And in fact, yet we got a good jobs number yesterday. He's going to crow about that. He's going to talk about how many jobs he created. He said yesterday, um, he said that he inherited inflation. He inherited, which is an outright lie. Uh, but he's going to talk about his successful economy and how he's reduced spending and deficits. And I just want to get your take on that. Um, what should, well, how does, how's this going to work? What should Republicans say about all that? I don't know that it's necessary, Larry, that they say a lot. I, I think it's going to be obvious to the people of America uh, when the president is talking about this boom in prosperity, uh, working people realize their real wages today in terms of what they can buy uh, is lower than it was the day uh, that President Biden took office. Mm. Uh, it is true that we have low unemployment, but a major reason we have low unemployment is because over a million and a half workers have dropped out of the labor market uh, in response to an explosion of government benefits when they found themselves increasingly about as well off not working as they are working. If we had the same labor force participation rate, the same percentage of prime work age persons working as we did when uh, President Biden took office, the unemployment rate would uh, not be anywhere close to its lowest level on record. Mm. Uh, and finally, I just have to say that, you know, maybe I'm getting naive in my old age, but uh, I just don't remember the quality of public debate ever being as low as it is today. Mm. Uh, I don't remember, uh, uh, for example, uh, it's easy to talk about yourself, but let me just talk about President Reagan. Uh, President Reagan was wrong about some things, 
but I don't ever remember him saying anything that I didn't believe that he thought was true. Hmm. I don't remember in my political career ever uh, stating uh, a position as being fact when I knew it wasn't fact. Hmm. But that now seems to be standard fare. And people just say things that, that in the era where I served in public office, the media would have held you accountable, and people just wouldn't have done it. I mean, remarkably. Oh, uh, it's unbelievable. This, I, I, the, yesterday, uh, it, no, I beg you, it might have been Thursday. But in any case, he was asked about inflation. He had a brief presser. I think it was yesterday, but whatever. And he said um, uh, he in, the trouble was he inherited a high inflation. In fact, he said the trouble was I inherited a terrible economy. We had high inflation. We were in deep recession. Uh, you know, Phil, both of those are just lies. The the inflation yeah, well, the the inflation rate uh, in uh, at the time of his inauguration in January 2021 was 1.4%. 1.4%. In the next year, it went to 9 But 1.4%. And the economy in the first quarter of 2021 grew at 6.5%. And in fact, the whole second half of 2020, you know, after the COVID collapse in the second quarter, the economy was booming. And most of the jobs were created. I mean, he just flat out. I mean, I don't like to use the word lie with presidents, but what the hell? How am I supposed to say this? Well, let me just compare that with Reagan's statement about the economy. And remember, when he took off, the inflation rate was 13 percent mm. and the prime interest rate was 21 and percent. So what did Reagan say? It's not a question of who's to blame. It's a question of what to blame. Wow. It's a question of can we stop this spending? Can mm. we provide incentives for people to work, save, and invest? Um, mm-hmm. it, it's just an incredible factor, but I just don't believe it's effective. Mm. Uh, I, people are not stupid. They they get confused. Uh, they hear an argument. It sounds good. It turns out not to be valid, and they discover it. But you you can't tell Americans something that they know from their own personal experience is not true, and not expect them to figure it out. He, um, the other thing he said. Uh which is driving me crazy. Um, I mean, I'm a data guy, but still. Uh, he says, well, manufacturing is back. Manufacturing is back. Well, <laughs> manufacturing's falling in recent months. The actual industrial production is falling. Manufacturing production is falling. Business equipment investment production is falling. The uh, uh, supply managers <laughs> is falling. I mean, I'm not saying that... Some, that I, I don't begrudge him the jobs number yesterday, although I think there was a lot of white noise in it from seasonal adjustment and population revisions. But whatever, the labor market is holding up. I don't I don't deny that. But, you know, manufacturing is not holding up. 
consumer spending is falling the last several months. I mean, it's bizarre. And he just blathers on about this stuff. I well, let get. me tell you, it's very, very dangerous from his point of view because the American people will forgive a president for almost anything. But the two things they won't forgive him for is not knowing what's happening mm. or not caring. And uh, this all sounds as if he is completely out of touch with reality. So I think it's, you know, you've seen people say things and they think they're persuading people when they're actually alienating people. Mm. And uh, Mm. my guess is here that people listen to that and say, what planet is that guy from? Right. He's giving old people like me a bad name. Um, (laughs) Me too. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I don't need the data to go back in history. I'll just try to remember it. (laughs) Well, listen, uh, it's a new new thing that we're facing where the media has taken sides. And so people are not held accountable. Mm. You know, I knew when I said something that most of the people in the media were trying to be objective, but they didn't agree with me philosophically. And so I had to be more careful and more persuasive to get them to cover what I was saying. It's just, it, it was, you know, the hill on the battlefield. You don't like it, but it's there. Mm. But the idea that somebody could stand up and say something that is totally false mm. uh, 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 on the floor of the Senate, for example, uh, and not be called on it, uh, that could not have happened in the era where uh, Robert Byrd and I were in the Senate. Mm. Interesting point. I like the idea of not who to blame, but what to blame. No, it's a wonderful concept. I kind of like that. so productive. Look, it, the worst thing you can do, and I, I give Reagan lots of credit because he could have spent four years blaming Jimmy Carter. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just don't remember blaming Jimmy Carter. Uh, uh, he uh, made the point that it's what we're doing wrong that's causing the problem. It's not who's doing it. It's what they're doing. It's what we're doing. You blame government. Uh, you blame you government blame, policies. Well, and you blame, exactly, blame government policy. Yeah. And, uh, of course, Carter's deregulation, which now the Biden administration is trying to overturn, produced great uh, economic response, yeah. which Ronald Reagan got total credit for. You actually started uh, with Carter. You're right. Yeah, exactly. The Carter deregulation. And Ted Kennedy. was was Oh, and Ted Kennedy and uh, uh, that whole movement of the 1970s mm-hmm. where even the liberals, uh, as they were defined in those days, uh, said regulation has failed, it's driven up costs, it's reduced competition, it's hurting American competitiveness. 
and they deregulated the railroads, the trucks. They deregulated communications. Mm. We would have never had the technical revolution we had in communications mm. without that deregulation. Now, Reagan built on it. We deregulated mm-hmm. oil and gas prices. Uh, we finished much of that work. It's now all being overturned in a regulatory tsunami. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, uh, but yeah, again, it's policy. It's not people. Yeah. Anyway. It's, it's, anyway, Biden's policies are bad. Jimmy, Biden, Jimmy Carter. Policies. Jimmy Carter looks angelic to me oh, right now. Angelic. I would welcome him back. <laughs> so we're with Senator Phil Graham. I'm going to take a quick break. I want to talk about the debt ceiling and making some structural reforms to uh, spending. We're talking to the great Senator Phil Graham, and uh, I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back, folks. Please stick around. This is the Larry Kudlow Show on 77 WABC. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Larry Kudlow. I'm here with the great Senator Phil Graham. The latest book is The Myth of American Inequality, How Government Biases Policy Debate. Uh, Phil, I want to talk about your op-ed piece a couple of days ago, uh, de- using the debt ceiling to control government spending. And you point out that since 1985, but in almost the last 40 years, we've had um, – that ceiling's been raised, let's see, 50 times, and riders have been adopted as part of raising the ceiling 48, 48% of the time, so half the time. And um, it was a lot of this was uh, to cut spending. So um, what should McCarthy do? I mean, you saw, I, I don't know how the meeting went. You know, it's funny, McCarthy, uh, who's become a very good politician, I think, he was pretty smooth when he walked out and you know faced the press after his meeting with Biden. But if you know Kevin McCarthy, I'm going to see him tomorrow. Um, he looked pissed off to me. His face was kind of red. I think I think it was a rough meeting. But in any case, uh, what should they do? What kind of structural spending reform should they go for? Well, uh, the first point of the article, which you touched on, Larry, is that amending the debt ceiling in an effort to control spending, is certainly not something that's new. Uh, When Graham Rudman was passed, Senator Biden voted for it. Mm. Uh, It had broad bipartisan support. Uh, And uh, since Graham Rudman passed, every time Senator Biden cast a vote on the debt ceiling with a rider, Every time but one, he voted for it. Mm. So this uh, argument that how dare you uh, talk about uh, getting out the butcher knife and getting the family around the kitchen table and cutting up the credit cards uh, while the guy's knocking on the door to try to collect money you owe, how dare you suggest that this is a time to talk about addressing the problem? Mm is preposterous. Mm. Uh, but what what have Republicans got to do? They've got to pass a debt ceiling increase with their rider on it. Mm-hmm. Voting no 
is easy. Voting yes on a concrete program is difficult. It's called governing. And if Republicans don't govern, if they can't pass a debt ceiling with their spending restraint measures on it, what is going to happen is we're going to have a crisis, and then Republicans are going to break ranks and vote with Democrats to raise the debt ceiling and to continue the spending spree. Mm. And in the last 14 years, the federal debt has tripled. So something needs to be done. What I propose in the article uh, is a simple program to claw back all of the unspent balances from that $6 trillion spending orgy where we spent more in two years than government had ever spent in three that would claw that money back. Uh, and there's about $255 billion left that we end the pandemic. Now, the president says he's going to do it uh, in May, but it's not clear exactly what he's going to do. But you need to realize the president has used the pandemic to spend almost a trillion dollars. And we need to rein in uh, the power of the president to use emergency declarations uh, to gain po- the power of the purse. If you go, I go through the list in the article about we've added 20 million people to uh, Medicare and SCHIP. Uh, we've doubled uh, food stamp spending all in the name of the emergency. Well, the emergency been over for over a year, and yet the president keeps extending the emergency. Any way, any excuse to spend more money, which is extraordinary to me. Uh, uh, The administration seems to have no bottom line. They want to get everything they can get as quickly as they can get, and then they'll let somebody else worry about how to pay for it. Medicaid, chips, S-chips, no work requirements, all been waived. All been waived. There's no work. I mean, that's uh, you know, it was a great Democrat reform. Mm-hmm. President Clinton signed that bill. Mm-hmm. They ought to expand the list of social welfare programs, benefit so programs, that. you know, right. Because that's a fair way. Look, it's, it's not too much to ask able-bodied people to go to work. It's good. You know, we're a generous country. We'll help them out when they need help. Um, but now COVID is over, emergency's passed, and they got to start looking for work. So there have to be restrictions on these programs. I mean, I th- I think when you put it in that way, Phil, uh, you know, common sense people will support it. They'll say, yeah, they ought to they ought to look for work. We'll help them when they need it, but not forever. This is forever. Well, well we're now providing about fifty thousand dollars to the average household in the bottom 20% of income earners. Mm-hmm. And they're about, as we, we've elevated them into middle-income America. Mm-hmm. And if we don't have a work requirement, many of them have clearly uh, uh, stopped working. The, the right. labor force participation rate among prime work people 
is down from 68 to 36%. Thank you, Senator Phil Graham. We love you. Thank you very much, sir. I'm Cudlow.